0: Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. It's great to be with you all again. Uh, it's fun to come back and to sit back for a bit, and then to get back in the saddle. And I trust that you're having a good summer and enjoying yourself completely. Is that fair to say? I guess not. No, you're having a miserable summer. Okay, awesome, awesome. Uh. Just like to announce, uh, we've been waiting for uh, immigration to come through. We have hired a new worship director, and uh, she will be here on, well, she's actually coming next Sunday, but she starts here August 1st. Her name is Steph McGowan. Uh, She's Irish, believe it or not, so uh, we've got a little Irish leprechaun that will be on staff with us. Uh, she's great. We're thrilled to have her, and I trust that when she comes that you'll make her feel at home. Uh, she has done two years at a church in uh, Thunder Bay, and will be transitioning over here, and we're excited that she will be part of our team, and I hope you will make the effort to meet her as well. Uh, let's take a few moments in silence. Can, we do, can you guys close the doors, please, and we'll keep the noise out there. take your uh, week whatever has been on your mind your stress no stress your vacay I don't really care but just let's just unplug a bit prepare our hearts prepare our heads God you've given us more than we deserve and we're a needy broken people and yet you still fill our cup till it overflows. We have sung praises to you, we give our resources to you. Now we're about to study your word in this community of students and I I thank you for, you know, even this last couple months, uh, we've been able to see you do mighty things and we want to continue to see you move in mighty ways and we acknowledge that we're very common people caught up in something very uncommon. And so now we give you this time we give you ourselves we want to learn from you and your word we continue to worship and obey you and in jesus name all the disciples said amen so our trip to ukraine if you haven't already heard has uh, was fantastic we have some videos from pastor sergey and katya that we'll be putting together to share with you and just the background scenes over the summer of what has taken place Um, uh, like I said, you've heard, maybe you haven't heard and maybe you just crawled out on a rock and you have no idea what I'm talking about, but we did take a team of seven to teach English and, uh, uh, had a great time at camp and, uh, then running around and preaching at different churches and just, uh, connecting in the Ukraine, um, followed up by, uh, we're now working on getting a hockey team together and so if that's something that interests you and you're interested in going out in March to play hockey and to share your faith because it actually goes hand in hand, believe it or not, uh, I would like you to simply email the office and I'll send you uh, what we're doing and the dates that we're looking at and the approximate costs. And I have 18 guys on my list. Uh, some people have asked if spouses are welcome, yes, spouses are welcome, but you're paying your own way, you know that, and I'm going to put you to work when you get over there. So. Uh, It's not a a simple, relaxing retreat. So if this is something that you want to take hold of and be a part of, uh, let me know. Just email the office and we'd love to entertain from there. So here we are, back in Matthew. In high school, I went to Fort Richmond Collegiate. And believe it or not, I used to be in the musicals. I used to dance and sing. Yeah, yeah, I did. All right, I did. And uh, one of the musicals we did was Fiddler on the Roof. All right. Now, if you don't know Fiddler on the Roof, the play is actually set in a Russian village. Go figure that. The village of Anatevka. And uh, it was populated largely by a Jewish families At the time when Russia was ruled by the Tsar, it's an impoverished little village. The people of the village were... Of simple faith they lived a simple life they lived very close to the land and off the land they heard very little news of the outside world and their lives were governed strictly by their age old tradition now as a curtain opens on the first act and I remember this at our our school the the audience's attention is drawn to the top of the, the the stage of a roof of a house and there is somebody with a violin just eking out a haunting tune in the shadow of the fiddler and uh, the lights come out on stage and the first person you meet is Tevya. he's the dairy farmer well here's the opening it's a great musical and i am I'm, I'm reading matthew and i'm going through with the pharisees here and the pharisees were concerned with tradition and Tevya is concerned with tradition it was all coming together and kind of like Tevya, the pharisees knew that without Israel's traditions, life would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. Like Tevyah, they knew the importance of knowing who we are and what God expects from us. And today we pick it up in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus just stunned and silenced his challengers regarding who they should give their money to, Caesar or God, and no doubt, they walk away shaking their heads in retreat, just wondering what happened as Jesus schooled them. Now, it was said in the uh, video weekly, I say it again, if you have your phones, follow us on Soul Sanctuary, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's very easy, and the reason why I say this is that I've been watching our uh, um, social media, and they've been putting some great stories together, and if you haven't seen the stories of what's going on during the week, like with the kids' camp and with youth and everything else— It's just fabulous and it keeps you in the know of what's happening at the church so if you haven't done this already we got three different generations we're trying to you know connect with right here now back to matthew the pharisees are left there jaw dropping after jesus schools them now another group begins to move in and we pick it up at matthew chapter 22 uh verses 23 to 33. the same day sadducees who say there is no resurrection They came to him and they asked him, "'Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without having children, "'his brother must marry the widow and the father, uh, uh, "'and father children for his brother. "'Now there were seven brothers among us. "'The first one married and died, "'and since he had no children, "'he left his wife to his brother. "'The second did the same, "'and the third down to the seventh. This is a black widow. I just want (laughs) you to know that right now. You gotta stay away from this woman. And then then they finished their story and they go, "'Last of all, the woman died.'" In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of this heaven will she be? For they all had married her. So Jesus answered them. He said, you are deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were amazed at his teaching. So up to this point, the Sadducees have not played a very prominent role in the book of Matthew at all. The Pharisees are the guys who are showing up often. But the Sadducees actually take on a much more prominent role when we get to the book of Acts. Why is that? Well they show up after the resurrection of jesus christ because the sadducees as we read earlier did not believe in the resurrection of the dead and luke actually confirms this if you want to follow it up in acts chapter 23 he also added that they didn't believe in angels or demons so they they had no uh world view for this at all they were anti-supernatural and the power that they embraced was more earthly it was more about political clout that's who these guys were they they were the lovers of Greek culture, and they collaborated with Rome to some degree. They accepted only the Pentateuch; they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. That's all they thought was authoritative. The rest was just merely a commentary, and at, at best. And and one of my uh, um, theologians, I like yeah, I like what he said. He says it best: the Sadducees were biblical illiterates, for whom contemporary Greek culture was the real fascination. So they they were just cut up with. Um, culture and they just had a little bit of religion flavored into it and like me when i first started uh maybe you like me when we first started reading this you kind of jumped to the conclusion that the sadducees are hypocritical like that of the pharisees and the herodians earlier uh in the chapter but this is actually not the case so jesus doesn't call the sadducees hypocrites here at all it's quite interesting he tells these Sadducees, though, that they're deceived, that they're mistaken, that they're ignorant. He actually, in the different Gospels, he's basically is calling them out. Um, and they're not being underhanded, but they're opening, o- uh, openly challenging Jesus and his position on the resurrection of the dead. That's what they're doing. And it's quite clear that the Sadducees, like the chief priests and the Pharisees, understood Jesus to teach that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Remember, we're coming close we're coming close to the crucifixion and so <clears throat> the words out the guns are going people are trying to you know discredit Jesus and he's just being himself and putting it down so thanks to this account of the confrontation between the sadducées and Jesus we can understand the argument that the sadducées bring forward and i actually believe that they sincerely thought that their argument would demonstrate the fallacy of the doctrine of the resurrection And if this were the case, then Jesus would be discredited because they understood that the resurrection, uh, not only to be a part of his teaching, but they also understood that the resurrection was foundational to Jesus' teaching. And again, we see that as the book continues. But if you can disprove the resurrection, the Sadducees then would be able to discredit Jesus in front of all the people. Now, their argument was logical. It wasn't a stupid argument. It was kind of fatally flawed, but it was a logical argument. They begin to address jesus as teachers so they come in nice right <clears throat> and then they begin to uh, mention the instruction of moses regarding love right marriage from deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 5. now this love right marriage was designed to ensure that a deceased israelite would have offspring right that would be produced through his brother that would be the family line would Continue and citing a text in Deuteronomy concerning this type of marriage accomplished several things first of all It was a proof text for the Sadducees from the Pentateuch remember the first five books of the Bible That was the only thing that mattered to them Secondly, it established the biblical basis for a levirate marriage Thirdly it underscores the importance of preserving the line of the physical dependents and our descendants and finally it provides the Sadducees the occasion or so they foolishly assumed, to discredit a belief in the afterlife, thus saying, look there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And so here's how the argument seems to flow. It's kind of interesting. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, and yet they give this crazy argument. Jesus knows this. He knows who these people are. He knows what they believe. He knows what they stand for. And they make no pretense about who they are, what they did, or didn't believe. So, it's not like the pharisees where you have them being this is an all-out gloves are off let's go to town and they mentioned the basis of the Levite marriage in the law of moses in deuteronomy 25. they proceed to apply that law in the context of a literal resurrection of the dead because they knew that this is what jesus believed and taught the fact that there were seven brothers in their story in their example is, is priceless because it's you know it's a pretty far-fetched situation And it surely was hypothetical and extreme, but it's exactly what the Sadducees needed to do to accomplish their point. And if they can prove their point in just one area, then they win the discussion. And, uh, you know, that discredits Jesus. And eventually all seven brothers died without producing an heir for their deceased brother. And now in the resurrection, you know, what is to be done with the seven brothers and this one wife? And to the Sadducees, when they have this example, it's an impossible situation. And so they concluded that the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead must be false. Because how could one believe a doctrine that led to such a confusing and impossible outcome? Whose wife is she? Well, after going through seven brothers, I don't think anybody would want to go back. I'm just saying, but... So... There are no the Sadducees are in no way challenging the legitimacy of the Leverite marriage law at all. As a matter of fact, they they actually embraced that law, this law of Moses, because it tended in their thinking to support their rejection of the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Why? Well, this marriage is necessary as a part of the law. It's because it was essential for an Israelite man to have descendants. That was the key. And, that, and why was it essential for an Israelite to have descendants? Because the Sadducees reason, well, there's no afterlife. There's only this life. So our own immor- uh, immortality is to be accomplished by preserving our family line of descendants. That's how they would look at it. And so to the Sadducees, the kingdom of heaven is something earthly. It's something physical here and now. And to them, the existence of... Of the law of the levirate marriage was itself proof that there was no resurrection. That's how they understood it. And to more forcefully make their point, they then devise this hypothetical situation, which seemed to make the bodily resurrection just impractical. Like whose wife is she going to be? Now, you need to see when we look at this that the Sadducees were open and above board in their attempt to try to discredit Jesus's teaching concerning the resurrection. They're not. Hypocritical, like the Pharisees in the previous challenge. Jesus doesn't rebuke them, like I said, for the hypocrisy, but he doesn't let them off easy. His words in response to their challenge would have stung them. The Sadducees were people who were used to power and prestige. Their fascination with Greek culture made them think of themselves as the intellectual elite in the area. They were the people who were in the know. They were used to winning arguments and debates. They were used to being respected. They had it all together. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're wrong. And you're wrong because you're ignorant and you're deceived. That's a bit of a slap down. While they quoted scripture, he basically says, you're not well read in your scriptures. You guys have absolutely no clue what you're talking about. And they were deceived or ignorant in two main ways. First of all, they were ignorant concerning the nature of the resurrection. They rejected a stereotype of resurrection that wasn't really biblical. See, to the Pharisees and to others, heaven was life as they knew it. Only better and longer. You you tracking with me on that? That's what heaven was. They assumed that sex and marriage would be a heavenly experience. It can be, but they were wrong. And Jesus corrected their flawed view of the resurrection state by responding that heaven, listen, when we leave this earth, it is vastly different than what we're going to experience in this life now. Specifically, men and women will be like angels, so to speak. There'll be no marriage. This is what we understand. This hypothetical woman would not be anyone's wife in the resurrection. And so, if what Jesus then says is true, and it is, then the Sadducees' whole argument against the resurrection collapses right in front of them. And there re- remains only one reason why the resurrection would be denied because men and women must lack faith in the power of God to accomplish it. And this is precisely the indictment Jesus makes against the Sadducees. In the first place, they misread the Scriptures. You guys don't know what you're talking about because you're not reading the Scriptures right. You know, and they're concluding that heaven would have marriage just like we have it here on earth in the second place they didn't know the power of god they had not experienced god's mighty power either intellectually or experientially and they did not believe god was so powerful as to raise the dead so they had two strikes against them now the sadducees had taken the words of moses and twisted them to disprove the resurrection jesus goes to the very core of israel's faith in the pentateuch in the first five books of the bible and he quotes Exodus 3:6. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. God's very name there, I am, <clears throat> tells it all. He is the eternal, the ever-living God. But he's even more than that. He is the God of those who have died. God spoke these words in Exodus 3:6 to Moses several hundred years after the deaths of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob god spoke of himself as the god of those who had trusted in him and yet died but there's only one explanation for him doing so that these men did exist in some sense presently and they will exist in a glorious form at the resurrection they're alive what happens when you die age-old question right as christians we have many different kind of concepts is it a sleep is it Do we pass right over into paradise? What is it? What is it? We'll find out one day. I like to think it's like into paradise right away. I base that on my conversation between Jesus and the thief on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. But what will that look like? I'm not sure. Nobody knows, do we? But Jesus was sure of the resurrection. Eventually, he demonstrated it himself. He wins his argument hands down. And the sadducees were looking to publicly embarrass and discredit jesus and it doesn't work they're shown to be wrong with their own scriptures they were exposed as poor students of scripture which really says to us people we need to know what our bible says oh you know you know it says in the bible somewhere yeah find it what's the chapter and verse come on you know they were exposed as poor students of scripture we're not told how they reacted but matthew tells us how the crowd responds and Matthew tells us that the, when the crowd saw this and heard this, they were amazed at his teaching. And all that to say, I, uh, I, I want to bring us to the verses I actually want to camp on this morning. And that's, you know, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees got together. Like, <laughs> these guys are gluttons for punishment. Eh? Like, <laughs> they, they just can't concede. And now they're coming after Jesus with another theological question, and they try to find out where he stands in regards to traditional faith and the faith of the fathers so you know it's not even a tag team these these Pharisees they're just they keep going in they keep getting messed up and one of them which was an expert in the law tested him with this question teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law and Jesus replied love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets Hang on these two commandments now. In his reply, we see that Jesus has a great respect for tradition. He goes to the very heart of the Jewish faith. He quotes the passages from the Old Testament earlier in Matthew. uh, You know, we heard that Jesus hasn't come to do away with Israel's faith. We have to remember that. We hear him say in Matthew 5, don't think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For most certainly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one of the smallest letter or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. So Jesus has a great respect for the traditional faith, but not necessarily the traditional interpretation of the Pharisees. Are you tracking with me? Because every once in a while I hear, you know, teachers, Christian teachers say, oh, you know, Jesus was all anti-tradition. No, actually he wasn't. He was the fulfillment of it. He was just choked at the way the pharisees were using it and manipulating it to control people now there's nothing new in jesus's answer here all right it's it's not something original see in jewish writings long before jesus's time these two commandments summarize the whole law as a matter of fact in in luke chapter 10 verses 26 to 27 a jewish lawyer asked jesus what he has to do to receive eternal life and 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 this is what it says in luke And Jesus asked him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer replies. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the Lord. So every Pharisee, every Jew, even Tevye, the dairy farmer in the village of Anatevka, knew these words these words are the essence the beginning and the ending of jewish holiness of piety in deuteronomy we have this thing called the shema hero israel the lord our god is one love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength the shema is is to be recalled every morning and every evening it's taught to the kids they recite it even just before the moment of death that's the way it is jesus continues a second is likewise right love your neighbor as yourself what is jesus doing here well he's going right to the heart of the pharisees tradition and his own tradition he quotes the law in leviticus leviticus has this whole area that's dedicated to loving your neighbor and dealing with right conduct toward your neighbor And then he goes on and he says, the whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So the Jewish idea of responsibility, even when it comes to who is to be loved, goes like this. Everybody was to love God. That's compulsory. (laughs) You You don't really have an option here. This is what we're supposed to do. But everybody else in the Jewish mindset was graded as how much love they were to be given. Go figure that. There were those people whom... You know, it was a responsibility to show love. Those on the outer circles of the community, uh, you showed it a different way. Like the outcasts, like the sinners, like the tax collectors and the Gentiles and the, the Samaritans. Some people were to be loved less. Others were owed no love whatsoever. And so the Pharisees had established so many laws to help people in their observance of this command. And these laws told people who they were to love and who they could ignore. That ignore is a powerful word do you ignore people well do you realize you're breaking one of the top two commandments and by saying that the greatest commandment is to love god and to love your neighbor this gives a new slant to the traditional interpretation You know to love god that's that's clear enough but also to say to love one another in the same breath puts both of these commands on equal footing that's what's phenomenal about this one is not more important than the other to love god is to love my neighbor and to truly love my neighbor is to love god in fact we can't make any sense out of jesus's radical commands to love our enemies unless we first recognize the the love that god has for us and loves us in such a radical way even though we are his enemies because of sin the love of god and the love of our neighbor are inseparable think about that for a bit you cannot claim to love god if you don't love your neighbor and essentially the entire law of god can be boiled down to two simple commandments love god with your whole being and love whomever god puts next to you as you love yourself now take a look at your neighbor oh <laughs> that's a pretty high calling isn't it mm-hmm. henry Heyman he said this jesus does not separate love for god from love for man since the latter flows from the former and since without the latter the former is impossible so before we go any further we need to understand what jesus means here when he uses the word love that little four-letter word for us is used in so many different contexts in our talk right we talk about loving our dog we talk about loving strawberries and ice cream we talk about loving somebody of the opposite sex right uh we when we use the word love we're expressing our affection and our warm feelings right for whatever it is that we are loving because we associate the word love with affection and it's no wonder that we have difficulty loving those people who annoy us, right? Those who have hurt us, those who don't deserve to be loved. And when the Bible talks about love here, the word that it's being used is agape. It primarily means a love that keeps on loving. It means commitment. We may have warm feelings of gratitude towards God when we consider all that he has done for us, but, not, but it's not the warm feelings that Jesus is demanding of us. It is stubborn, unwavering commitment. It follows then that to love one another, including our enemies, doesn't mean we must feel affection for them. Rather, it means that we have to live out a commitment on our part to take their needs seriously, just as God committed himself to taking our needs seriously by sending his son into this world. Are you tracking? You see in these these marriages where because of the aging process, we see this all the time, where one partner has become physically incapacitated, maybe even difficult to live with, it becomes very demanding on the other, and yet that other partner keeps on caring and putting up with it all. See, that's coming close to the biblical idea of love. That's the commitment, even though it isn't deserved. It's stubborn, it's unwavering commitment to the other person's needs. It often comes as a great sacrifice to our own selves in that process. And that's where many marriages actually go wrong. The couple say that they're in love, they have warm feelings for each other, but they don't have the commitment. And when the warm feelings fade, so does the marriage. This kind of love doesn't come naturally. And it's true that this kind of love comes from God, but putting it into practice is something that we all have to to work on. And so love, commitment is a deliberate action of our will. To love deliberately means to turn toward another person and their needs, to give away something of ourselves to someone else without ever thinking of what am I going to get back in return. That's love. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. And we see an example of a man loving his enemy, committing his money, his time, his energy to seeing the needs of a person who was lying in the gutter. He stops, he helps him, he hangs around. uh, You know, there's consequences to all this. And all the the, uh, Samaritan could see was somebody in need and this kind of love is self-sacrificing it's putting the other person first whether it is god or our neighbor and what jesus is saying is that when you see people love like that what you're seeing is the visible expression of the law and the prophets this this behavior among people manifests openly and publicly and practically what the old testament was all about It fulfills the law and the prophets. Loving God is invisible, right? It's an internal passion of the soul. But it comes to expression when we begin to love others. Do you you see that? It comes to expression. Our love for God comes to expression when we begin to love others. And so loving others is this outward manifestation of the visible expression the practical demonstration and therefore it it is the fulfillment of the old testament and what it's all about so there's a sense in which the second commandment which is you know to love your neighbor is the visible goal of the whole word of god it's not as though loving god is not here or that loving god is less important rather loving god is made visible do you hear what i'm saying loving god is made visible and manifest in and full in our visibility, practically sacrificially, when we love other people. That's what it's about. This is what Jesus is talking about: our caring attitudes, our caring actions, sharing a part of our life. That's what it's all about. It's giving up a part of ourselves so that we can benefit others, and 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 dropping the selfish concerns of our sinful past. It's showing God's love. Uh, that God's love for us through our actions and through our attitudes. It's returning a part of His love uh, for us back to society. It's showing His love through our life. You know, we are called to be the light. We are called to be the salt. We are called to make an effect on those around us. And when people see us living our lives, when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, they know that there's something going on there. And in all honesty, it doesn't take much imagination to realize that this kind of love has been in short supply in our lives, right? In fact, if we could love perfectly, there would be no more sin in our world. But if we love perfectly, we would be able to actually be truly committed to other people, if we could do that. Then there would be no more violence. There would be no more war. What we say and do would only be kind, gentle, and caring, but that's not the world we live in. And because this is not the case jesus came to pay for our lovelessness band if you can make your way up jesus showed us what true love is his love touched the dumb the deaf the diseased the disabled his love warned wept and washed dirty feet his love told of a shepherd searching for a lost sheep, a father rushing out to embrace and kiss his lost son as he welcomed him home. His love turned the other cheek and willingly walked that extra mile. His love carried a cross and died upon it. His love welcomed each of us into God's family, forgiving our sin. And because of Jesus, you are perfect saints in the eyes of God. Hello? Like, that's a great thing. I know a lot of you like, hey, I really like the thinner part. Yeah, but you're a saint too. You got to leave the sin. Some of you just need a good old-fashioned altar call and come and leave it all behind. The perfect love of God is yours. We no longer have to love. We get to. We don't love in order to get to heaven. We love because heaven is already ours in Jesus. We don't love in order to win God's favor. We love because we've already have God's favor in Jesus. We don't love so that God will love us. We love because God has loved us in Jesus with the greatest love we will ever know. The crucified love of Jesus. When you think about it, he came to make us more loving. And what form this loving takes is not important. But what is important is that it does take place. And when you fail, remember Jesus loves you. And let his love shine through you into the lives of the people around you. And maybe today, you know, you're sitting here and you got these crippling sins from the past. maybe you've done things that nobody knows about and it's eating you alive and you think to yourself, oh man, how can God love me when he knows what I've done? Well, guess what? He knows that you're messed up. He knows that you're screwed up. And he loves you before you even did all those things. Do do we even realize that? You know, many people step through these doors uh, into a gathering like this and they say that, you know, God can never love me for all the things I've done. No, God loved you before you even did those things and he still loves you now. And he just wants to take that burden off our shoulders he wants to take that dung and rubbish and throw it over a wall and we need to begin to rest in the truth of who jesus is and that he loves us maybe you never wrapped your mind around the simple truth that you you know all but but all you do is you try to impress you know everybody but really the only person that you need to worry about is god you need to learn to love him the way that jesus said with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you need to realize that he just loves you and accepts you through his son, Jesus. Maybe, maybe you actually need to experience that freedom that comes in resting in God's love. Because some of us, we really struggle with that. So what are you going to do today? you Are going to go and watch Fiddler on the Roof? Great musical. Just put it on Spotify, play it all. It's great. You can go cut your grass with your sandals and black socks. You're gonna go out, to eat, you're gonna beat the Baptist to brunch, it'll be great, no problem, right? Suntan. Or do you need to actually take some time today and reflect? And reflect on God's love love for you. We like that part, right? But your love now to your neighbor as yourself. What can you do today that will be different? What can you do today when you leave this place where you can be that vehicle, that expression of God's love to your neighbor? And remember, it was the Pharisees said, well, who's my neighbor? And then the whole story of the Good Samaritan, right? What can you do today? What's God doing in your heart? What's he saying to you? Maybe you're here and you're going, I don't know, Jerry's, I don't know if I could do any of this. Or maybe you're here and you got somebody brought you and you're, you're our guest today, great. And maybe you got questions about God and Jesus, the church, you know, the fact the pastor is wearing a pink shirt. I don't really care, but you're here. I think that's, that's a God-ordained thing. Maybe you've come numerous times and you have hurts that you haven't dealt with. Maybe somebody's used a passage, even maybe one like this, the wrong way against you. If you need to talk, if you need to go further, if you want to ask questions, the number's going to come up on the screen. All you got to do is text the word SOUL the person behind that phone number is Joanne Hollander. You've seen her maybe once before, twice before, in part of our gathering. She is our pastoral care person. She'll respond to you she'll ask questions if you want to meet with her, if you want to meet with any one of us uh, else on staff, if you want to meet with me, we'll, we'll work it through. We'll answer your questions. We want to be there for you the best we can. We take our spiritual walk seriously, and we want you to do the same as well. We respect your number. We won't stalk you. We're not going to bombard you with texts or emails. But we, we want you to know that we're here for you. And so in a few moments, I'm going to bow. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray. you have permission, to take out your phone, get off Facebook, and <laughs> open up your message. And if you want us to connect with you, just text the word soul to the number on the screen. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we live in a God-bathed world. We acknowledge that you have revealed yourself in the creative realm. You have revealed yourself in the simple concept of conscience, that you have revealed yourself in our cravings to live in a kingdom where your will is done everywhere. We acknowledge that joy and laughter, food, provision, meaning, significance, it all comes from you. This is not random stuff. And so, Lord, I ask if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know Jesus, that they are living outside of your kingdom, that they would come to an awareness of how desperately they need you, that they would come to an awareness that without Jesus that they are lost. We want to be free to worship you wherever we see you. We want to invite the world to worship you with us. We want to be free in your kingdom to point you out to people. And so we acknowledge today that you are all around us. We acknowledge the fact the question isn't, are you here? The question is, where aren't you? So God, help us to live with that awareness as we live as students and disciples of yours, as we put you first. And we love you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we love our neighbors. ourselves help us I pray in the name of Jesus amen stand with me in ancient time the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing those receiving a blessing did likewise so here it is as you go soul sanctuary love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself because to love God is to love your neighbor and to truly love your neighbor is to love God may God go with you into this week may he grant you moment by moment listen the enjoyment of his presence a sensitivity to the promptings of his Holy Spirit and an awareness of the rich provision he has made for you to live victoriously and hopefully today and every day amen now go and live the church. See you next week.